I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today on episode 95, I'm going to talk to Brock and Ann Roby from Pleasanton, California. Brock and Ann graduated from Princeton University in 1984. They both became Christians there and then went on to plant the church in Oahu, Hawaii in 1989. Brock and Ann share about how they got selected to lead the team, how they prepared for the planting, how the church grew from a team of 20 to an average Sunday attendance nine years later of 1,000 people. The first six months of their planting, when they saw 45 people get baptized, and their experience as parents of a child with Down syndrome. All this and more on episode 95 of the Rob Skinner Podcast. I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today on episode 95, I'm going to talk to Brock and Ann Roby from Pleasanton, California. Brock and Ann graduated from Princeton University in 1984. Brock was number two in his class, and Ann was number one. They both became Christians there and then went on to plant the church in Oahu, Hawaii in 1989. Brock and Ann share about how they got selected to lead the team, how they prepared for the planting, how the church grew from a team of 20 to an average Sunday attendance nine years later of 1,000 people. The first six months of their planting, when they saw 45 people get baptized, and their experience as parents of a child with Down syndrome. All this and more on episode 95 of the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today on episode 95, I've got Brock and Ann Roby with me. And Brock and Ann planted the church in Oahu, Hawaii, around 30 years ago. That, that church took off and now it's spread all over the state of Hawaii. And in many ways, people that I've talked to who know Brock and Ann or who were converted during that time or experienced that period of time at the early planting for six or seven years are so amazed. They, they look back onto it as a golden age of, 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 of their lives and are inspired by the example of Brock and Ann. And so I'm so happy to have, have them here with me. Uh, Brock works as an engineer. Uh, both of them are extremely talented people and they were leaders when I was a, a baby Christian very briefly uh, when I was converted at the Berkeley Church of Christ back in the mid 80s 86 87 time period and so I'm just happy to have them on on the program and asking them about their experience planting the church in Hawaii and what made it so uniquely successful Brock and Ann great to have you on the program today Thank Thanks, you. Rob. Great to be here. Thank you for making the time to, to meet with me. Of course. Now, can you share with me how you became Christians? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, Ann and I met in college. Uh, we, were, we were both students at uh, Princeton University, and uh, we were both engineering students. Uh, and uh, actually, I, I was met my freshman year. Um, uh, the the local uh, Church of Christ, traditional Church of Christ, Princeton Church of Christ, um, in the early '80s, decided to hire a campus minister. Right? They'd heard they'd heard of uh, uh, they were familiar with Tom Brown and the group in Boulder, and um, one of the elders in the in, in the uh, traditional church there had traveled to Boulder and heard went to the Rocky Mountain Evangelism Seminar and heard Kip speak and came back to New Jersey saying, we have got to hire a campus minister. And so he did. And uh, uh, that campus minister led a, a Bible talk on my dorm uh, floor my freshman year. And uh, me and two of my good friends became Christians the last, really the last four weeks of the, um, 
the semester of freshman year. I mean, the first Bible talk I went to was on, on uh, April Fool's Day, and, and I can still remember it. The, the title was, um, Whose Fool Are You? Right? And I remember talking to the guy who led it afterwards, asking him, you know, I told him I was just confused about, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian? And how does, how do you know if you became a Christian? And he goes, well, let's study the Bible. And I was, I was baptized five weeks later. Um, and then Anne uh, came along two years later. Actually, I'll let her tell her story. Yeah, so unbeknownst to me, um, there were women in the church that went to Rutgers University, and there were some girls visiting from Princeton, but I had no idea they hadn't baptized a girl yet from Princeton. So, um, but I, I actually, the two friends that got baptized with Brock, I actually dated one of them for a little bit the following year and he had been struggling spiritually and started going out with me for a weekend and um I went out to this uh party for a weekend and um and then that next year I Brock and I had a lot of our classes together and I was starting to get to know him but I got to know one of his roommates and started dating one of his roommates who was also a struggling Christian and, but I'd go over to visit my boyfriend and I'd end up talking to Brock the whole time because I had so many questions about his faith and church. And um, my family was going through a lot and I just had, I just wanted to know what the Bible said about certain things. So I would ask Brock. And so we just became super good friends and we ended up being on the same drafting and serving lab team together. And he just had me laughing the whole time. And I just thought, this guy's really cool. But, you know, so we went, um home for Christmas that year and I didn't even get a card from my then boyfriend I got one from Brock and I was super excited to get it so that was pretty cool <laughs> and then I came back at Christmas after Christmas and started going to Brock's Bible talk and um then I started going to church I went to the church of Christ in the morning but I still went to my denominational church in the evening because I just wasn't going to let go of that and that's probably the best thing I did I did that for two months mm. And I just saw such an amazing difference. And it was to the point where the women's ministry leader never asked me to study the Bible. I actually ended up calling her and telling her, I have questions. Would you study the Bible with me? And I got baptized on June 2nd that year in 1983. Nice. And then we probably joked saying that, that Brock never asked me to be his girlfriend. We just started dating the minute I got out, up out of the baptistry. So I keep telling him he still owes me a card and gift. <laughs> yeah. Is that true? Is that how things turned out uh, basically we didn't really have dating examples so much you know so but people considered us an item and we did too so yeah yeah that <laughs> was, she just needed to read your mind yeah yeah that was god god was god watched over us it was um but you know i really wanted wonderful. to make sure i didn't do it for any person or any guy i mean i just didn't even want brock to be a part of the equation when i was studying the bible because it was my faith was incredibly important to me. I wanted to know what the Bible, I wanted to be on God's side. Right. And if it happened to be the same side Brock was on, then great. But if it wasn't, then I was not going to go with it. Yeah. And, you know, and then, and then actually shortly after that, even though I, I had been a Christian two years longer, I mean, it was really, and it was on Anne's heart. Uh, first of all, to, for us to consider going into the ministry when we were, when we were dating. And uh, I remember her, bringing that up and I was thinking there's absolutely no way I mean we we're here at Princeton we got our engineering degrees you know my I grew up my father had his own engineering firm and we could go back and take over the business and I just remember telling God look I'll I'll be the most devoted civil engineer <laughs> ever you know let's just but um now it really got on our on our hearts and so you know by the time we graduated we, we knew we really wanted to, to, you know, pursue an opportunity to serve God full time if it came along. What year did you graduate? 84. Yeah. And, uh, and we stuck around for a year to help the church there in Princeton. Um, we both got jobs, engineering jobs uh, in the area and led, you know, Bible talks on campus and a single Bible talk as well. And, um, and then at the end of that year, I had been accepted to Stanford for graduate school and uh, Anne was originally from California anyway. And since, you know, we, we were dating, she came back uh, 
the summer before I did to, uh, to Berkeley. Um, it was part of the Berkeley Church of Christ. I came out in the fall of 85 to go to Stanford. And uh, so we, we dated while I was uh, getting my master's. And then um, when I graduated, we, we got engaged towards the end of that and got married later that year when I graduated in 86. Uh, and then went on, went on staff with the, uh, the Berkeley Church of Christ. Um, oh, they, they had money to put Brock on staff and I had to get a job to make up enough money so we could afford to stay here. So I wasn't full-time until, I don't know, at least a year after that. Yeah, yeah, because then we, we transitioned to Boston right after that. We, we got asked to come out uh, to Boston. Tom and Kelly had come out to Boston and, and um, they, they had asked us to come out. So we went to Boston in, in uh, the fall of 87. We were actually supposed to go to Paris, France. And so we shipped all, you know, we sold all our electronic stuff and then shipped our sheets and towels and plates and everything to France. Um, moved to Boston. It was supposed to be just for two months, study some French, get our long-term visas, and God shut that door completely. So we got all our stuff shipped back to Boston, and we ended up in Boston for two years. Wow. And it was great. Okay, so you were there for two years, and then how how were you selected to go to Hawaii? That was well, Anne's fault. <laughs> well, and I, you know, even before that, I remember when we moved to Boston, we had friends that, you know, were going on mission teams. And I remember them telling us, don't think you're going to start sharing your faith just because you're on a mission team. You start doing it now. And, you know, Brock and I would do it. We would just, we would go to the supermarket in Boston and just go meet people. We would go to the tea stops and just go meet people. And, um, and it, you know, it was such a great time for us. But there was in June, uh, I'm sorry, January of 89, I was downtown Boston. You know, here's a Southern California girl. I was freezing outside on a street corner waiting for a disciple to come pick me up and I'm freezing. And I started joking saying, I'm going to start praying God sends me somewhere warm. I completely forgot to pray about it. I guess that's a good thing that I wasn't so focused on that. But literally a month later, Reese and Mary Kay Nealon, who are our dear, dear, dear friends, they sat us down and told us, we've got something we want you to do that's never been done before. And so I think both of us start thinking, oh my gosh, the Middle East, they want us to go to the Middle East or something. <laughs> and, then, and then they tell us, we want you to lead the team to Honolulu, Hawaii. And I, th I don't know if we really literally laughed, kind of like laugh. Sarah and the Bible. We're like, okay, where do you really want us to go? Yeah. And um, But what they explained to us and, and this ended up being very inspiring to us. They said, you know, what's never been done before is we've never sent out basically an intern ministry couple because we haven't been appointed evangelist women's ministry leader yet. And they said, if you can lead this team and God can work through you, then it will inspire churches to send out mission teams faster and more people will become Christians. Wow. It will help God build his kingdom. And that was really, that was inspiring to us. Um, so that's kind of how it all started. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so Go ahead. when when was the, the team sent out? Five months after that. So right, we so we found out we were asked in January of '89, and uh, right away um, we started having. So the the Boston Church sent out a lot of a lot of church plantings. I think six or seven church plantings seven in '89. Uh, yeah, at the World Missions uh, Conference. And uh, so we were one of them, but, you know, L.A. and Miami and Seattle and Dallas. Uh, Maybe the Philippines at that time, too. Manila. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think all of that was 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 at that time. Um, and so we started having, you know, mission team. We started having uh, uh, Leader. leaders meetings. You know, Kip would get together with us and have have kind of a, a, a D group, you know, once every couple of weeks. And. And kind of you know inspire us and teach us and, and kind of lay out some some vision. And which, this was just for the leaders. Yeah. And the men leaders. Yeah. And it's funny. I still have all my notes. I kept up you know, back then. <laughs> you had day timers, right? So you have your day timer. It's got all your notes. So I've got every molecule of notes from that time. Um, and and from early on, you know, uh, Kip had you know a great knowledge of of. Uh, of strong, faithful disciples throughout the church. And he had some suggestions going here. I think these, this couple would be great. And, 
we ultimately put together a team of 21. Um, and uh, I guess probably a dozen or so of those were from Boston and another, I think there were four from, from Denver and four from San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there was no church in LA at the time. And so, um, and actually the mission team hadn't all met until we got to Honolulu. We, we had phone calls with people in, in Denver and in San Diego, but we actually hadn't all sat down until we got to Honolulu. But, but the 12 or so of us in Boston, we had regular mission team devotionals for, for a, a few weeks um, to prepare to go. Um, you know, we read, uh, Kip had recommended, you know, read, read uh, Hawaii by Michener. Right, and so we had the mission team read that, and a couple other uh, spiritual books. We we read uh, Why Revival Tarries by uh, Leonard Ravenhill, right? Just some great, great, you know, old style preaching. Um, yeah, look at that. Mm-hmm. Right there. there you go. Got it right there. Unbelievable. <laughs> and um, we read um, This Present Darkness by uh, I want to say Frank Frank Peretti. Yeah, just to kind of get people thinking about the spiritual battle that we are going into. So we were, you know, preparing culturally. None of us, well, I say none of us. Only three, only three people on the team had, had grew up in Hawaii. Been to Hawaii, lived in Hawaii. I guess other people maybe on vacation, uh, but only three were from there. And so we really, and it was a place where culture matters, right? And we knew we have to come in caring about the people, understanding the culture. Um, it's not the kind of place, you know, you're not going to walk in uh, this arrogant, you know, white American and, <laughs> uh, and be accepted. <laughs> Why, right? It's just not going to go well. And so we, we really honored the culture there and took very serious our need to, to love we the love history the and love the people. Okay, so let's, let's talk... Just a little bit about more about the preparation here. You guys are five years old as Christians. Um, how old were you at the time? 26. 20, yes. You're both 26. You guys same age? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're 26 at the time. And what was going through your mind in the preparation? I mean, here you are. You're, you're, you're pretty young. Um, you're not even appointed as an evangelist. You, you know, you've never been to this place before. What, what, what was happening behind the scenes? What were you guys talking about in the privacy of your apartment? I don't think we, I don't think we knew enough to be uh, fearful <laughs> or concerned, right? I mean, I, I would have, I would have a little more uh, fear and trepidation now, but back then it was like, this is flat, awesome. I mean, yeah. we, we saw what God was doing. God was doing amazing things around the world, and you know, we had been to Hawaii on our honeymoon. Uh, three joking, years, three joking, years earlier. Enjoy, we better enjoy this. We'll never be afford, able to afford coming back on a ministry salary. I mean, we literally, literally one night we said, hey, I think someone needs to plant a church here, right? Joking around. Um, so we were we were very excited. Uh, I know Willie and Tanya Flores, who, who were discipling us at the time, and they, they went with us for the first six weeks. And Willie told us later, he was concerned that he, that he and Tanya were going to get stuck there, having to, to lead this this church and he was regularly talking to the guys back in LA going, look, we're here six weeks, but man, we're, we're going back. Right. And so <laughs> I know he had concerns. About, we had no concerns. Yeah. We just thought God's going to do something. Yeah. Unbeknownst to us, we, and I can't remember how we found out. Brock doesn't even remember this story, but Willie and Tanya must have told us, but we found out. So in March, before we went on the mission team, we were leading UMass Boston, and we had a goal to have five baptisms on campus that month. Unbeknownst to us, the leadership was praying, if God does this with Brock and Ann, we'll let them go on the team. But if it doesn't happen, they won't go. And lo and behold, we had five baptisms, but we didn't know that we almost missed out on going to Hawaii if God (laughs) hadn't given us those five baptisms. So Somehow, God helped us be confident. We just figured God's going to do something. and That's amazing. It, it strikes me. I, it, it's funny that you talk about being a white American. Uh, I, I remember just this few snippets of our time together at Berkeley. You're, you, were, you did a devotional for us up for the students at Berkeley. Of course, you came up from Stanford. And I remember just going, oh, this guy's really 
they're, they're both super smart. I could tell. Of course, we're all Berkeley students, so we're we're not doing too bad, you know. But I remember you talking about laying the foundation. If you want to, you build high, you've got to dig deep. And I thought, oh, this guy is a total engineer. <laughs> you know, this guy is really he knows what he's talking about. And uh, but as you as he okay, here you are. You guys are a white couple. You're going to Hawaii. I mean, how? What was that like? I mean, just you know, you you weren't Polynesian. You're not Samoan. You're you nothing. Okay, you nothing like that. That must have been a huge uh, adjustment. Yeah, actually, probably one of our favorite experiences in life. I mean, we we still talk about it. Um, I I can't I can't explain to you why. I mean, I I grew up in on a farm in central Illinois. I didn't know anybody. I'd never met anybody who wasn't white until I think I was probably 16 or 17, right? And that was um, someone who lived in another city and now a half hour away from me. And, and when, I, when I went to Princeton, my, my roommate, um, Les Gutierrez, was, uh, his family is from the Philippines. And you know, we, we became such good friends. We decided to room together again the next year and invite another friend of his who was from the Philippines. And that, so going to college was my first cultural experience outside of being white, absolutely loved it. And moving to Hawaii, 25% Caucasian, we were, we were minorities. The, the condo, the apartment we rented, we were the only Howley's white people in the building and you could feel it. And it was awesome. It was just an incredible experience to feel what it was like to be a minority um, and, you know, and just learn to respect the culture and, and be humble and, you know, the, the people of Hawaii and the culture of Hawaii, just so impressive. And mm. it's such an easy place to love and respect and the people are wonderful. So it was, that was just a dream come true for us to be able to be in that environment. Mm. My experience, I'm, I'm half Mexican actually. So I kind of always grew up thinking of myself as being part of a minority culture, even though I don't look it. And I, you know, I wasn't really in that culture as much as, you know, other, I grew up outside LA, but not in the very Latin parts of it. My dad was pretty white. So, um, but I, I didn't really see color growing up. I went to a school that had all sorts of different minorities there. So, you know, but we, I think, I think exactly what Brock said, we just loved the culture from day one. We learned to love it before we got there and we, we've loved it and respected it and studied Hawaiian history and, you know, felt so much for the people of Hawaii. And um, I remember the first time, Brock and I talked about this, the first time we went back to LA for a discipling time or a conference, we're sitting in Manhattan Beach in this restaurant and both of us are feeling really uncomfortable and we're looking around and we realized it was all white people in the restaurant. Mm. And we had not barely left Hawaii for almost a year. And so we weren't used to that anymore. And we were like, oh, I don't like this. I want to go back and, and be in Hawaii. Our favorite thing was flying home to Hawaii, thinking everyone's cheering. They get to go for a week and we actually get to stay mm. when we get off the plane. We get right. to stay. Right. Can you tell me a little bit about the first three months? What was it like hitting the ground? What 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 did you experience? No, sir. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the, the, in our minds, there are there are stages. There's the first the first six weeks with Willie and Tanya, which we affectionately called the Willie Weeks. It was awesome because <laughs> uh, Willie and Tanya were so intense and so helpful. So there's that first six weeks, and then really from then to the end of the year. So our first six months, very, very clear. Um, and it was so special when, when, we, when we, we got there a little bit after the, the team, the team got there a few days before us, we stayed back a few days because Kip and Bethany Harms were, were coming with us. They were in our campus ministry. Uh, they were coming as our right-hand couple and they were gonna go into full-time ministry um, and be on staff with us, but uh, they got married right before we left. And so that was really the first wedding that I, uh, I did um, with Al Baird. Al Baird and I did their wedding. And so Kip and Bethany get married. They get on a plane and fly to Waikiki for their honeymoon. We fly out the next day and meet the mission team and have a week with the mission team. At the end of the week, we drive down to the hotel on Waikiki Beach. 
pick up Kip and Bethany in their suitcase and drive them around the block to, to our mission team, you know, Devo. Team so it was like this transition from honeymoon to, <laughs> you know, the ultimate honeymoon on this mission team. But the, in the early weeks, the mission team would get together a lot. Every night. Yeah, we would meet in the, in the forest, a, a rented apartment and, and pray and have, you know, Bible study and just share good news about what God had done that day. And uh, I've got all the notes from all those lessons that we did and the names of people that we'd come and talk about that, that we all met that day. And the weirdest thing would be when we're sitting there, if the phone rang, we'd all look around and we realize it's got to be someone from thousands of miles away because everyone we know in Hawaii is in this room. I remember thinking that. And um, so we had, we had goals from the very beginning that Kip had given us, have six baptisms in the first six weeks, right? So we land there at the end of May and just start meeting people. And by the end of June, we had our sixth baptism. And one of the, you know, one of the other goals that Kip gave us said, have 45 baptisms by the end of your six months, by the end of the year. And we weren't really paying attention to that, but at the end of December, we reached the last week of December and we'd had, we had 44 baptisms and, and here was a woman from UH who was studying and she got baptized on, on New Year's Eve. Uh, and that was our 45th baptism. And it was just, it was just, Un, un, it's hard to describe because it wasn't orchestrated. We weren't really paying attention to that. It wasn't calculated. It wasn't, th there were goals that we'd been given, but it's not like we didn't, they weren't being held over our head. We didn't think about them. We just went back later and went, oh my gosh. So our faith was constantly being built by, by what was very clear that what God was doing, mm -hmm. right? And um, so anyway, that's- I think, I think one of the neat things was with our mission team, all of us knew the only reason we were there was to share our faith and build God's kingdom. I mean, we were all finding places to live and those that weren't in the ministry were getting jobs, but they were going to work to share their faith. They just happened to get a paycheck every two weeks while they were doing it. Mm. I mean, that really literally was our mindset. Okay, I have to go to the grocery store to get food for dinner, but I'm really going to the grocery store to share my faith. I just happen to be getting food while I'm doing it. And that's the way we talked. That's the way we thought. Um, it's convicting to even say that because I need to get back to thinking that way. But, but that's the very magical, spiritual is probably a better word, um, deep, deep convictions that our team had. We knew why we were there and it was for one purpose to build God's kingdom. Wow. Can you share about any unique or influential early conversions? Any stories there? Yeah, so, um, you know, what's really interesting is when we, when we go back even now and visit Hawaii, so many of the early disciples are still faithful 32 years later, yeah. right? And, um, you know, our, our, first, our first baptism was Robin, Robin Murakami, who's now Robin Kim. So, and she was our first intern in the ministry. And, and she and her husband, Dave, are in the ministry still to this day, right? So wow. the first person we study with was the first person who went in the ministry and is still in the ministry to this day. I remember, too, we only paid her $250 a month just so she wouldn't have to work her little job on campus so she could quit that job. I mean, we paid her very little. But the team, the church was so excited to give a little extra money so that we could have our first intern. Wow. And it wasn't even that much money. But they were so excited to do it. It really taught us a lot, even to see, wow, we can do this and it not cost so much. You, you know, uh, uh, Phil and Tish Camaro are, are another one of those couples who literally, and I, you know, our first, our first sort of midweek services were in our living room of our apartment, and we had we didn't have any furniture yet. We we still had back boxes, and so um, for midweek lessons, we we were teaching the first principle studies. And we were inviting friends, visitors to our midweeks and people were coming in. I remember Phil and Tish uh, and they had uh, their daughters sitting on our floor in our apartment, with no furniture and the mission team and some other visitors and, you know, sharing the scripture. And they were some of the first 
baptisms. Phil was a, a, a police officer of the Honolulu Police Department and one of my best friends to this day, right? They're still strong, faithful, great leaders in the church in Honolulu. Um, but that was from like day one, right? And just unbelievably Holy Spirit magical uh, times. Art and Cynthia Wong. Yeah, um, Art, I think uh, one of the brothers met Art probably at the mall and invited him. But then Art and Cynthia didn't live too far from the school where our church was meeting and they saw our church sign one Sunday after they drove home from their church service. And they recognized the church name and thought maybe we should visit this sometime. And I think they came the next Sunday, um, Art and Cynthia and both their daughters who are, you know, now all of them are Christians. Cynthia's parents became Christians. Um, it, it was just an amazing family to help become Christians. And of course they went on to be elders and, um, and many people probably know Kira and Tui Bayana. They've gone on to be in the ministry and yeah, it was an incredible. And that, that was from a brother meeting him, but also them just seeing the church sign. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, when, when they walked in, I mean, Art was, Art was an elder in a uh, Pentecostal church at the time and it was going through a hard time and just feeling like there's something not not right with what's going on here spiritually so they were searching and so they saw that sign came the next week and then they walked in they saw the brother who had just invited them at the mall the week before like oh my gosh you just I just met you you invited me to this church so they were you know and their daughters Kira and Corey were the first teen uh baptisms in the church and um so, you know, just so many amazing stories. There's many, many like that. It's funny to me because that's that's been my experience on in planting churches is the early converts are super influential. Yeah. And they just, you, you don't realize it at the time, but they become like your your core. Can you, any comment on that? Like why that is? I mean, I've just marveled at it, at the, at the kind of leaders, evangelists, women's ministry leaders that are raised up from those early converts. Yeah, you know, I mean, in, in my mind, obviously, we, 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 we believe in what the Bible teaches about relationships in influencing each other and God using relationships. And we, we understand the discipling that comes through our relationships. And we understand the discipling that comes from the scriptures, right? Read the scriptures and it, it, it teaches us and changes. But there, I believe there's a discipling that comes from the body, right? That the church that the heart, the, the devotion, um, uh, and the Holy Spirit working in the disciples in, in the body is a, is a powerful uh, teaching and a discipling opportunity. So when you're in a fellowship where everybody is, is a disciple and you come into that as a visitor and you're learning what it means to be a Christian, you're learning it in the Bible and you're learning it from watching the Christians it just gets it just gets put into your foundation of what it really means to to have faith and to follow God and to follow Jesus. Um, I think what is challenging is if in in our churches through time, if we get weak or uh, we lose convictions and and there begins to be this fringe uh, in the church, it's it's almost impossible to overcome the discipling, if you will, that comes from from that fringe in a negative way, right? Mm -hmm. Because that. In our weaker moments, in our sinful nature, we look for excuses to not be devoted to God and, and sold out in our in our hearts. And so we see that in that fringe. And so I I actually believe that's one of the keys to these church plantings. When everybody, you're there for one reason. I mean, anybody that visit our church, they're like, now tell me that again. You guys all moved here. Should this be this church? Like you you didn't have a job before you got here? You no, no. <laughs> and so that has God uses that the Holy Spirit uses that in a profound way. Everyone that I've talked to, as I mentioned at the beginning, who was associated with those early years, they've got kind of a glow when they talk about it, and they oh, Brock and Ann, and such a, a warm, special memory, a little halo of that time. What made it so special? What? How would you describe that? What was going on there? You know, it's funny, I think Brock and I talk about how our years in Hawaii are like our stones of remembrance, you know, how the Israelites had to take stones from when they crossed the Jordan River, so they'd never forget what God did. And I feel like that's what those first few years were for all of us that were a part of it. 
One of the things, um, well, there's two things. I remember Willie and Tanya when they, I don't know if it was when they picked us up, it might've been when they picked us up from the airport or shortly after or when they came first, one of the first times they came back. I remember them telling us, you two are the two most important people in the state of Hawaii. And I sat back and I thought, wow, in God's eyes, we really are because we are bringing his word to people. We are bringing him to people. And that helped me so much. I mean, to the point where I told my son that when he started going to high school, I said, you're one of the most important people at your high school. You know, same thing when he went to college, because it helped me so much to realize it's really true in God's eyes that we as disciples are the most important people to him in our cities mm -hmm. because he wants to spread his word. Right. And um, the other thing was because we hadn't been appointed yet. And, you know, I don't know if I think it might have been Willie who said this, but we got dubbed the lean, green and not very mean mission team. <laughs> and Brock and I are not known for being, you know, the meanest disciples, right? I mean, we're pretty chill. We, you know, we want to love people. We want to love people through their problems, you know? And um, so we weren't very mean, you know, and it wasn't considered the strongest team. And so when God started doing things, I think it was just so amazing to me because people started looking at it and saying, wow, look how awesome God is. Like, I didn't feel like people thought, wow, Brock and Ann are awesome. I thought people thought, wow, I can't believe we'd come back to the mainland for meetings and it'd be like, wow, I can't believe what's happening in Hawaii. And it was, and it was more like, wow, God's amazing because it wasn't supposed to be that good. <laughs> you know, it wasn't supposed to. Here are your goals. We hope you meet them, but we don't know if it's going to really happen. And God did it. Um, and so I think that was probably one of my greatest joys because I felt the happiest when God was getting the glory. Wow. That's when I'm happiest is when God looks good. And let me just, let me add to that, that um, as Ann said, said, it's sort of an anchor for our faith, those times, remembering what God did. I mean, we even have, I mean, we have Hawaii stuff in our house, right? Yeah, we we haven't, hard. we've been living here in the Bay Area for 23 years, but Hawaii is special to us because of what God did, right? It, it helps buoy our faith at times when we need that. And I think the other thing is we're very fortunate in that when, when we got asked to move back from Hawaii, it was at just the right time. I mean, we'd been there nine years. The church had gone from 20 people to, we were having a, a little over a thousand on Sunday mornings and we had, we had planted three churches uh, from there and sent out the best of the best with each of our church plantings. And then, and then we got asked back here and in and the church around the world, we went through some hard times. We didn't know that at the time, right? No one could see it coming, but as it turns out, we, we kind of were pulled out of Hawaii right at the, at the pinnacle of some very exciting years. And so I think it's not anything special about us. We're just, we're locked into people's memory at that phenomenal time. We, we weren't with them during the hard years, right? If we'd stayed the whole time, Maybe. there'd be a lot of people that probably wouldn't have liked us, right? You know? so, we feel like God just protected. We just feel like it was a gift from God to have yeah. to have our relationship with the church protected because we we do love that church so much it it it's got our heart forever and I, and I just feel God protected it wow can't well, explain it when I hear that I go okay it's Hawaii paradise on earth why did you ever leave I mean how could they even pull you out of there. I just go, wow. I mean, that's my, it's my favorite place to go to, you know, it's like when I think about my happy place, it's, it's going to Hawaii. And I, for Pam and I, we've, when we lived in Japan, we would come back and, and visit, you know, go to Hawaii and stuff. Why'd you leave? Oh goodness. I wish we didn't have to, <laughs> um, you know, it, after being there almost 10 years, we'd had, you know, our first son was born with down syndrome and that, you know, was a hit to us. I think, um, I think my issue was I felt like I had to be this faithful, strong woman. And I did really believe God had a plan in it, but I didn't know how to share my pain in it as well. 
Like I didn't know I could share my pain about it and still be a faithful woman. I thought I had to just be positive and happy. And, um, and so, you know, it was, you know, we love our son to death and he's one of the greatest gifts. I, I, I believe our other son is the great son he is because of our son with special needs and all that, but it, it was hard for us and it, and it affected our marriage. And we just, we, we talk about it now, how it was like, we were great business partners with our marriage, but we weren't close anymore. Mm. And, um, you know, as much as we hated to admit it, we needed to come back and get some help. And so, you know, I'm grateful for the church here in San Francisco pulling us back in. It really helped our marriage. It turned it around and really helped our boys um, and our whole family. Um, you know, but you never like to admit that you you were in a position to need help. And we were in a position to need help. I think the church had also hit that plateau of growth. And I think at the time, not really understanding how there's cycles with church growth, I think we we felt like something was wrong with us that we weren't able to keep that momentum of growth going. So I think that took a hit. Our faith took a hit because of that as well. And, um, you know, hindsight, we understand it now, but back then it was pretty challenging. So coming back, you know, you kind of come back with your tail between your legs and you feel like, okay, we're just wounded here and we need help. And that's where we were. Okay, I can see how you'd, you'd feel wounded having the challenge with your marriage and then having a, a special needs child. That'd be challenging. But the church grew to like a 1,000 on Sunday. That's that's inspirational. I mean, that's amazing. I think 29 years, 20 to 1,000. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. that's totally awesome. Mm. So yeah. where were those feelings coming from? I mean, you... To me, you should have felt like, hey, we are just conquering heroes coming back here. Yeah, so, um, of course, at the time, you know, we, I think our faith was 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 taking a hit. I think we're, um, you know, in, in our relationship with the church here, we're, we're, we're glad that we had the church here where we're at now in San Francisco overseeing us and kind of coming in and and suggesting to us, hey, I think you need a break. I think, you know. We, we're not the type, we don't, we won't we ever quit, quit, right? Right. So like we would have just, Got it out. we would have just driven this thing off the cliff, right? Uh, going, no, we can do it. We can do it. Um, so I, I think, you know, that was God's wisdom in, in going, hey, you know what, let's, let's give you a break and, and, um, and work on your marriage and, you know, turned out to be, I think, great for our lives. Um, I think probably, honestly, if we look back on it now, we've been here 23 years. Um, one of the, one of the, probably the greatest lessons that we needed to learn was to just enjoy God and not, and not enjoy being successful. I mean, we both grew up in families. We were successful families. We were successful students. I mean, you know, it was just win-win, you know, I'll, for our lives, and then and then we go into the ministry, and this happens. And I think, looking back now, I think the hard lesson we've had to learn is to do well in obscurity, right? I mean, we we've been in an environment that the story we're we're telling you right now, no one here has ever asked to hear this story, right? It's not a it's not something that um, you know. So so I think I think through that time, it actually taught us. Don't get your don't get your glory in what you've accomplished. Even if you say, "Well, God did this," right? There's still this satisfaction of, "Yeah, but God did it. it. He did it with me," mm -hmm. right? And I think some of that just needed to get um, sifted out of us, right? And and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't well, I was gonna say I wouldn't trade our experience for anything. I guess I I probably would because there've been times where it's been hard. But I think it'd be a mistake if I traded that experience for anything. Yeah. I do, I do want to add though, going back to Hawaii after, you know, to visit and speak and all that has been very healing for us through the years, because when you go back and people just love you, they don't, they don't see our weaknesses or problems or mistakes, I guess I should say, I'm sure they see our weaknesses, but they don't focus on that. They just loved us. 
Yeah. And, and that was very healing for us. So, you know, I think, I think God just needed to give us that time, like Brock said, just to focus on him. Okay. Can you share with me what's happened over the past 23 years? In brief, just, just kind of where from that time, that must have been 98. Now it's 2021. What are you doing now? Yeah. So, so the first seven years we were in the ministry here uh, in the Bay Area. And, um, and it was hard coming back in to a, a larger staff and, um, you know, having to, to learn how to have relationships that are in your life and, 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 and be real and, and part of a team. Um, we needed help in our marriage. We needed uh, help, you know, navigating, having young kids. And um, so, but along the way, the, the first, actually the first, for the first three years we were here, we, we got moved to four different cities, right? Um, with our son Barrett, who had Down syndrome and was elementary school. And that was very, very hard. And, and as we would get moved around, um, increasingly, we weren't, really, we weren't really feeling like we were as effective in the ministry as we've been in Hawaii, right? So we had this, in our minds, this vision of what it meant to be in the ministry, where you're studying the Bible with people every day, and you're helping people become Christians, and you're building... You're raising up leaders and you're raising up staff. And we'd got to the point where I was starting to feel guilty that we were being paid, right? Uh, we, weren't, we weren't speaking and teaching uh, at, our, at our services. We were support staff in, in other people's ministries. And, um, and, and so I started really feeling like, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know that we need to be paid. I don't know this right for the church to pay for us. And it's, I, we just kind of got discouraged, I think, and our faith got low. And and um, after seven years, the staff here said, hey, you know what? Your faith seems low. We're worried about how it's going to affect you long term. We think you should step out of the ministry. And so we did that 16 years ago. I, I went back and, to. And we wouldn't have quit if we hadn't been asked again. We, we don't quit. We just keep going. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think God blessed it. Our, our boys became Christians. I, I got a job. We both got jobs right away. I got a job working as a civil engineer. I'm still working at the same company. And, and my boss, when I walked in the door for an interview, I mean, it's, what a weird interview. I'm coming in 19 years out of college, studied civil engineering, hadn't worked, you know, in, as a civil engineer in, in 19 years. Uh, and so sitting down and, and, you know, in my mid 40s going, yeah, I want to see if you'll hire me. And, uh, <laughs> and Dan, who's the principal of the company, Fortunately, his father had been a minister growing up and had transitioned his in his career later in life. And so he, he got it. And so he hired me. I still I work for him now, 16 years later. Great, great man and a great friend. Uh, I think, you know, God, God taught us a lot. I think working, uh, being a, a disciple who works a job, long hours and 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 raising a family has taught us a lot about what the average disciple goes through, right? right. And what it's, what it's like to uh, not be in the full-time ministry and yet be a disciple. I, I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't want to miss that opportunity. It's right. been valuable. What'd you do, Ann? I, um, after we got out of the ministry, I actually got a job. Um, I, I feel like God made this job for me. It was just at the time I started looking for a job a graduate of Harvard University started a, an in-home tutoring company here, and she wanted to hire, you know, the Ivy Leaguers and the Stanford, uh, Stanford Berkeley graduate students, and she was looking to hire someone to run her company, and um, and it she wanted just you know part time, and I was looking for part time because I needed to be home when her son with special needs came home. And so I interviewed with her. And so I was the only other employee at our company. All the other tutors were contract employees. But I did that up until a few years ago. Um, and and it, was just, it was just a perfect position for me to raise my kids. Wow. So when I needed it, it was there. When she didn't need me anymore, I didn't need it. And so I honestly, I look at that and I think that was a gift from God. Mm. I feel like we learned so much about how God's our safety net through all that transition because it, it was hard it was challenging I I had gotten so much of my self-confidence about what God thought of me 
from the ministry. So then right. to be asked to not be in the ministry, I remember walking around my house thinking, God, are you disappointed in me? You know, God, what do you, how do you really feel about me? And it, it was just almost crushing. But then seeing God taking care of us every step of the way just built my faith and help, helped me to remember, no, God loves me. God's there for me. God's going to take care of me. Mm. And it, it was just, it was just a perfect position. I couldn't have asked for better. Well, Brock and Ann, one thing that I want to ask you about is what has been the impact of having a special needs child with Down syndrome? Obviously, that's just life-changing. Can you share with us what, what impact that's had on you? What have, what have you learned? You want to go? You, you, you go? We got a lot we can say on this, but you start because you probably know the direction to go. So. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, the short answer is it's it's the most devastating thing and the greatest thing that's happened in our life in our family. Uh, initially, the shock. I mean, we were in the unique situation in that we found out we were going to have a, a, a child with Down syndrome before Barrett was born. Um, I was six months pregnant. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so we were, we were preparing ourselves for a birth that may not have been even viable because of his heart defect, which is how it kind of showed up that there was some abnormalities there in the, in the development. Um, and here we are, Princeton, Stanford grads talking about your first child, you know, and you're, you're just going, our kids are going to be brilliant, right? You're just going to, you know, you do that stuff. And you go, no, our first child is actually going to have special needs. And and that so quickly changes gears in your heart and your life trajectory. Uh, and, that, and that happened the second year of, of the church planning in Honolulu, right? And it, so, it, but, but God provides. So I, I say that now coupled with that, the prayer right on the heels of that was, God, we want to have a second child and we pray that this child can help bear it. And so that's what we prayed for Nick. And I prayed that Nick would be the best brother Barrett could ever have. And God went above and beyond our expectations with that. Yeah. I mean, our, so. our boys, you know, most parents have stories of your kids fighting in the back seat. And you got to turn. Hey, stop that. Don't make me stop the car. <laughs> uh, right. You know? never, our boys never fought. have to this day and they're almost 30. They've never fought. They fought with me. We've had fights, <laughs> right? But they've never fought with, with each, each other. other. I, you know, they are the and and Barrett loves his younger brother Nick. Uh, and and Nick would tell you, you know, he is the man that he is today um, because of his brother with special needs. I, I mean, growing up, anytime you had to write a report in school, a, a book report, a science report, I'm talking from kindergarten to senior year in high school, Nick would always find a way to write something on special needs and people with special needs. And I remember one time, you know, telling him, hey, Nick, you know, you don't have to do every report on special needs, but that's what he, that's what he, he had a passion for. And he cared about that, cared about his brother. So it, you know, and then I think beyond, then beyond that, I mean, you know, how much Barrett's helped us in our, our family and even in our ministry is, as he was in elementary school, we got involved with special needs soccer and the church here started, you know, the East soccer program. And that Barrett was a part of the early stages of that when he was in early elementary school. And then we started a group here in Pleasanton. And it was when Nick was in middle school and going into high school and Nick would bring his friends out from high school to be coaches. And he would have sometimes, you know, a dozen, two dozen friends over the course of of, of the year that would come out to be coaches and would love the program, right? And some of those would go on to have careers in, in developmental disabilities. And, um, and ultimately from that, lo and behold, the community loved it so much, the city came and talked to us and they said, listen, we don't want you paying for fields anymore. We will give you fields for your program because this is a great program. You shouldn't no one, You shouldn't have to rent facilities. And then, and I think it was 2013. Ann and I were, you know, nominated couple of the year in the city of Pleasanton because of our work with special needs families and e soccer. I mean, you know, go figure. And and because of that, um, one of the 
got the men who ran for city council asked us to be on his committee for his election and he and his wife wanted help in their marriage they started studying the bible and he became a christian wow so you know i mean i i i know even from the time barrett was a baby when we were in hawaii i remember this um her name is daniela and she was a phd candidate in physics at uh and she was an atheist she started coming to church and she told me, you know, Anne, if you could go through this with your son and still love God and still see God working, then maybe there really is a God. And she became a Christian. And I remember thinking, you know, if having Barrett even just helped just her one soul, and I think he's helped many souls, but I thought it's worth it. It was worth it. And so I think even from the beginning, I saw God use Barrett in our life to help people um, get to know God. Wow. Yeah, that's that's powerful. You guys are yeah, so, so the, uh, I was just gonna say the way he changed not only us and our son, but the people around us has just been it's been an incredible thing to watch. Mm -hmm. So now your kids are out of the house, you guys are empty nesters. Uh you're in your late fifties, I'm I'm assuming. Okay. Yeah. You got a lot of life ahead of you. You've got all this incredible experience, ministry experience, work experience, life experience. Where do you see God taking you now? That's that's the the question, and that's what we've been praying about. That's why I've been enjoying listening to your podcast, right? Because um, it's inspiring and it inspires us because we we're we're dreaming and praying about our next. Uh, I would love to to retire in three years and. And then for us to be able to get back into helping serve, uh, building God's kingdom, you know, teaching, uh, preaching, serving, whatever we can do. I mean, I think in our hearts, we're builders. That's what we sort of figured out through the years. We, 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 we love people. We love getting into situations and caring about people. We love being parents. I absolutely love being a father. I actually figured out, I see the world through the paradigm of, of being a father. Um, my father is still alive and gonna go visit him in a few weeks. And he's just been a phenomenal uh, figure in my life and hero in my life. And I love being a father to my kids. And so I, I think we wanna be in a situation where we can care and nurture and build. Um, I think the other thing we've learned in, involved in the community here, uh, living here in Pleasanton for 20 years now, it's been 20 years, uh, is how, how significant cities are and really how, we, we, we love the campus ministry. We became Christians in campus ministry and right away we figured out, you know what? The town where we live is our campus. Mm -hmm. And when we go down to Main Street and hang out, that's like at the campus center, right? And we, we just, we think of that way and we, we, we love our city and uh, one of my favorite verses early on when we first planted the church in Honolulu was Acts 14, 21. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples, right? And I just used to think that was a phenomenal passage because it talked about winning a large number of disciples. But I realized through the years, the thing that's really hooked me is the city and how God uses our cities, our communities, uh, in our relationships. And, and we need to have a, a vision for ministries that reach out to our cities. And, you know, we're, we're excited about figuring out how do we go back into serving and reaching our city, another city, without necessarily even having to be full-time, right? Mm -hmm. we've, got to, we've got to come up with the ability to plant churches where people don't have to be, you know, nothing wrong with being full-time. And we need full-time staff, but uh, there should be plenty of of occurrences where uh, we have micro churches uh, where disciples can go and evangelize our cities um, without having to necessarily be, be full time. Right. Can you see yourself going back to Hawaii? Possibly, yeah. I think, you know, we, we dream about that. We dream about a lot of things. <laughs> I think we, um, we I, I think what Brock said about 
us being parents. We love being parents. Brock is a great father. I see him that way at his job. Like he mentors all the younger engineers and not just with engineering. They talk to him about their relationships with their dads and their girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever, you know, and it, it's just, it's neat to see him mentoring these younger people. So he's that way wherever he goes. And that's really one of our dreams. We just want to mentor people. We, we loved raising people up in the ministry. And there's still a lot of couples in the ministry that became Christians in Hawaii that got raised up there. And, and, and that's one of our favorite things. So whether we do it on the mainland or, you know, we've talked, maybe we can buy a house in Hawaii with someone and, and half the year be there and half the year be somewhere else. Or, you know, we dream about a lot of different things, but, um, but we definitely want to be in a place where we can have an impact, raise people up, put our arms around people. I just love, I just love, I want to be a mom and dad to some church somewhere, yeah. some group. And I do, and I do want to say Anthony and Son have been so gracious through the years in Honolulu. They, they ask us there to come visit and speak and just spoke at one of the, the women's day events that they were doing Virtual this year ones. virtually. And, they've been very gracious and they're good friends of ours and they're doing a phenomenal job with the, with the churches in Hawaii. And so we're just, we're just happy to be part of the family, right? Mm -hmm. And if it, if it ended up that we went back there and could serve God, that would be great. If God has different plans, we would be happy. We're just, we're just looking forward to being able to use our time and energy and what we've learned to, to be able to give back and serve God in his kingdom. Yeah. I know there are many people in the same stage of life that are considering and, and thinking about maybe leading a church, planting a church, leading a small church somewhere that's that's been around a while. There's so much that you guys can do, and I just look forward to tracking your progress, see what where God uses you, because wherever you go, I know it's going to turn to gold. Absolutely. You guys have the Midas touch, and and I, I've respected you for, for decades now and look forward to seeing what exactly happens? I, I'm not sure, but I, I just wish you all the best. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Rob. This builds our faith. It's, I, I enjoy listening to it. I never dreamed I'd get to be on it. Yeah. Well, let me just, let me just throw in one final question. What advice would you give for a person who wants to make this life count, who wants to live a no regrets life? So, you know, I think, you know, our son Nick is in the full-time ministry uh, after following in our steps in many ways, you know, getting, he got his uh, master's degree in civil engineering as well from Stanford. And then uh, he and Christina, his wife, um, are now serving the full-time ministry here. And I think the thing that, that we probably talked about with him growing up and we've, and I know it's in his heart that there, there are many wonderful things you can do in the world. God gives us opportunities and gives us passion. He gives us work and the ability to enjoy our work. Um, in our minds, there's nothing more rewarding than using your time and, and energy um, to, to serve and help people in an eternal way, mm. right? And, um, you know, I, I regularly tell Nick, in fact, he actually, when he graduated from Stanford, started working for our company. He was about, I don't know how many days in, 10, ten days in when he got an opportunity uh, to be able to go and, and train in the full-time ministry as an intern. And so, you know, he called me feeling really bad. Um, and, but, and I regularly tell him, hey, look, there's, there's still plenty of work to be done as a civil engineer. You know, if you, we kind of joke about it, but it's, it's, there's nothing that you can replace with being able to use your energy to, to serve God and to have that mindset that you're on a mission team and wherever you're at in your town, right. And you're even within your church, uh, to have that, your job, your, your, your corporate campus can be your campus. Um, uh, you're on a mission team there. And, um, enjoy that. Enjoy God. Enjoy people that God has put around you. And I would just add to that. I, I heard a minister speak um, not too long ago on faith and that faith is not believing in God. It's believing God, believing his word, believing his promises, believing 
his purpose for you and believing his plans are great plans. You know, and I think having a son with special needs has taught us that because that was not the plan I was counting on, but it was still a great plan. And I continually remind myself of that, that my goal to not to live a no regrets life is I'm going to believe God, not just believe in him. I'm going to believe him. I believe his promises and I believe he's going to guide us where he wants us. I just want to do it and be where he wants me. That's so mm-hmm. awesome. Thank you again, Brock and Ann. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. And I want to thank you for listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. I really appreciate your listening week by week. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to live a no regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.